comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. The world we know is gone. No Netflix, no iPads, no Instagram, no podcasts. In a world ruled by the dead, we are finally forced to start living. Episode 87 of the Walking Dead TV Podcast. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by a smaller crew than usual, but we still got plenty of cool stuff to talk about. I've got with me Jim and Russ. How you two doing? I'm doing fine. I just, I hope uh, people hear this. <laughs> yeah, apparently we're having a small problem, and by small I mean gigantic problem for a podcast, which is that iTunes is not updating anything but our master feed at the moment. So if you're hearing this, congratulations. Uh, it means you're listening to all of our shows, which we do appreciate. If you're not hearing this, it's because you're a selfish, per- selfish person who does not listen to all of our shows. And that means uh, that the feed you listen to isn't working, which we do apologize for. We're working on it. Or I should say Russ is working on it because I would probably just make it worse. So thank you, Russ. Sure. Or you could be getting it from the website, which is fine, too. So... Um, yes, that works just fine. So tell your friends if they listen to our show yeah. and they're having problems getting the new episodes, they're there. Uh, you just got to do a little bit more legwork than normal. Indeed. <laughs> but we're not here to talk about the problems inherent to the Internet. Hey, look at uh, it this way. We're doing a lot better than Andrea was by the end of this episode. <laughs> just a little, but uh, yes, certainly better. Shades of gray, my friend. Shades of gray. <laughs> we're here tonight. We're gathered here tonight to discuss Prey, episode 14 of season 3 of The Walking Dead. Uh, Only two more to go after this episode, guys. Can you believe it? It's pretty crazy. Uh, This was a pretty fun episode. I I saw, I mean, I won't spoil our Facebook comments that we'll talk about uh, after the synopsis, but um, very divisive episode, apparently. People either loved it or did not dig it at all. And a lot of that seemed to hinge on whether or not they were a fan of, like, classic horror movies. But the interesting thing is, I kind of love this episode, and I'm not a huge fan of this, like, 70s slasher films. I just find them kind of goofy. But this was, like, a fun version of that that I really had a good time with. Well, I think people are divided on Andrea anyway, and just as a character, you know. And this is a very Andrea-centric episode. I mean, she's pretty much the POV character through the whole episode. So, I mean, it's not surprising that the episode would be divisive, considering it is pretty much all about her. Although you'd think for people who hate Andrea that they would love it just for the last 10 seconds of the episode. You'd have to really hate Andrea to be happy about that. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Well, let's get right into it. Uh, Prey begins with a flashback, actually. I think the first one this season. Am, am I missing one? No, I think I think you're right. This is a flashback to Andrea and Michonne when they were on the road uh, in between the burning down of the farmhouse and when uh, they got to Woodbury. I'm not sure exactly when, but it's certainly cold it looks like so uh in that winter time between there and uh we learn that they've been together for a little while but andrea still hasn't learned a lot about michonne apparently michonne has been tight-lipped uh even around andrea on their journey and andrea asks about the walkers you know she guesses that michonne knew them beforehand and she kind of guesses as to what that could be michonne does not really want to talk about it, but then she eventually says that she did know them and that they deserved what they got because they weren't human in the first place. And at that point, the camera does this pan over to the chains around the walkers' necks, and it cross-cuts or dissolve-cuts, I forget exactly, uh, to those same chains, as far as we can tell, uh, in a very dark and dreary torture chamber uh, where they're being attached to the walls by the governor. This is uh, really, for me, where I'm starting to see, like, David, David Morsey really playing the governor full-on psycho. You know, I mean, uh, there have been points and patches here where he's trying to be Philip, he's trying to be the guy who's doing right by Woodbury and trying to 
do right by Andrea. But now, I mean, especially in this opening scene with him with the chains, it just kind of set the whole tone for him, you know, going full Travis Bickle, uh, especially in this episode, as we'll get to soon. Well, yeah, even down to his look, I'd say he's pretty much approaching full 100% comic governor. Um, his hair's shaggier, he's not shaved, he's got the coat, which looks pretty awesome, uh, and the eye patch and everything, and, and like you're saying with his attitude as well, he really has transformed into that person, and I gotta give the writers credit for giving us, you know, kind of the, the you know, the, the long version of his transformation, rather than the comic, where he's just that guy from the beginning. Here, you really get to see over now, not quite 14 episodes, because he wasn't in all of them, but, uh, you know, 12 or 13, his transformation from kind of charming guy to, you know, you know, Freddy, basically. And I think, you know, prior to this, he 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 definitely was slightly unhinged because he was doing things like, you know, capturing the walkers in the pit, the whole gladiator arena, you know, killing the soldiers. I mean, there were definitely things that that put him in a different in a totally different space than than where Rick is, but it's been very inward and very behind the scenes, and he's been doing a good job, or was doing a good job, of keeping that all kind of hush-hush, and you really got a sense that he, he, in his own mind, was doing it to protect the community, to make sure the community thrives. And now we're seeing, you know, after getting stabbed in the eye, it seems like that was the event that really just set, and and Penny's death, or quote-unquote death, um that that's what's really just set it to where it's gone from being completely inward to very outward. Um, and other people are starting to notice, you know, what's, what's really going on. So I agree with you, Jordan. I, I like the slower transformation. I like the fact that they didn't just show up and he was this completely one note, uh, type of character that we're seeing this, this steady decline. You make a really good point, Russ. He's getting like closer and closer to the, uh, the comic book version of the governor, and I really appreciated that about the performance. He's been doing it in gradations as opposed to, you know, just going from, you know, nice guy one day to, you know, full-on psycho the next. And here, I mean, we're definitely seeing the governor as most psycho. And every time we see him hit a new plateau of crazy, we keep thinking, okay, this is him in full-on governor mode. I think we've even said it in a number of episodes now. And every time he then tops it a little bit more and a little bit more, and just judging by where this episode ended, I think next week we're really going to see it go even farther and or at least have it implied go even farther I'm, i am interested to see how far they take it on television but uh we we might be looking back at this episode going no that wasn't even the full governor but anyway back in woodbury uh they're getting ready for uh, the slaughter of the prison group pretty much uh they're loading up the trucks with guns and and uh, bullets and other things like that and Milton tries to talk the governor out of killing everybody at the prison, but it's just not going to happen. So Milton then goes to Andrea and tells her, hey, there's no deal. The governor intends to kill all of your friends no matter what happens. And um, and to prove this to her, kind of, Milton takes her to this to that same workshop or at least a room overlooking it. And this was the scene that they showed last week on The Walking Dead. Um, and there's, you know, like the dental dental chair, the barber chair with handcuffs on it and a full table of torture implements of various types. Uh, they, during the talking, this week they actually gave you a tour of almost everything that was there, but it's a wide range of things to cause very different and uh, distressing forms of harm to people and to keep them alive as well, which means this is going to be a long process to whoever the, the governor ends up putting in there. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear he's building it for Michonne, considering he's using her very own pet walker chains in there. But uh, as we'll see by the end, other people might be looking into that place as well. Oh, just to back up really quick, I thought it was interesting the way uh, the governor approached the, you know Milton's questions or whatever. He said, uh, "Do you really believe there was still a spark of my daughter left in you know in that walker?" And he said, "Yes." And he said, "You know, well then he, she killed my daughter too." So you know, he justifies his revenge for not only for his eye but for his daughter's life it's in his mind. You know, there. You know that was she was still his daughter, even though you know hideous zombie. It was just I just thought it was interesting that that's how he appealed to Milton to try to you know to explain to him why Michonne and the people in the prison had to die, and uh, that that scene where they're looking down on the governor and Andrea has the gun out and she's pointing it at the governor down you know below, uh, and Milton pulls it away. I mean, we could have 
saved ourselves a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of hassle in the next few episodes if she had just pulled the trigger. But Milton's point is arguably sound. He says basically, yeah, okay, you kill the governor, so then what, Martinez is in charge? Or somebody else below Martinez? You know, the governor is not the only terrible person in Woodbury, and while he might be the craziest, uh, the others are out for blood as well. Right. So w- we will never find out, but it could have gone, just as Milton said, and gotten even worse if she killed him. Yeah, the other interesting bit I I picked up on this exchange was, or the exchange with Milton and the governor was he called Penny by name, and he called him Philip. And they've they've done a pretty good job of, at least in the beginning, of making a point of it being Andrea as the only one that really called him Philip. So Although I, Milton has a couple of times, I think. Oh, as, uh, well, one of the things I got just from that exchange, and I don't know why it stuck out on me with this episode, was that Milton knew Philip prior to all of this, or knew the governor prior to all of the, the zombie outbreak. Um it, it just seems like he knows him a little closer and has a reason to 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 be that way and and oh that's interesting yeah i just I, just something about that just made made it seem like they their re- relationship was a little closer than uh and a little more and a little longer than than i think we've been told unless we've told something that directly contradicts that that i've forgotten but i don't i don't think so the only thing i can think of is milton talked about how he worked from home and didn't really know anybody. So possibly he met them after the zombie outbreak, but before Penny was killed. Oh, good point. And th- that yeah. would still give you pretty much the same uh, the same uh, traje- trajectory for the character and also explain why he's more loyal to the governor if, you know, Philip was the one who had kept him alive all the way until they got to Woodbury and ever since. Um, but I-, I like that idea. He definitely uses, you know, calling him Philip as like punctuation for how serious he is. Or how you know, serious the point is that he's trying to get across. It's not something he calls him all the time. You know, uh, it's like your mom using your full name, right? You know, when I heard James Michael Christopher Deeds, you better get in here. I knew I was in big trouble. So I mean, he's definitely using it for effect um, by, by calling him that. And I agree with Russ. I I've kind of always thought that Milton and the governor knew each other before this happened, and that was one of the reasons they trusted one another. So after, like Jim said. Uh... Milton, you know, convinces her not to shoot the governor. He basically tells her, look, you need to leave. You need to warn the prison group. And she says, okay, but you should come with me. And Milton says he belongs in Woodbury, which Andrea accepts. But she tells Milton, if you're going to stay, you've got to stop looking the other way because this is getting crazy. So Andrea is making her way to the walls to get out of there when Martinez catches up with her and tells her, hey, they're confiscating all the handguns uh, to get ready for, you know, whatever comes next with the prison group. And so she's forced to give him her gun, uh, which, of course, plays heavily into the rest of the episode because she doesn't have one. Um, And then the governor comes over right after that and tells her he wants to keep her separate from what Martinez is doing, but he wants her to be with them when they meet Rick. And Andrea, you know, wants to get out of there as fast as possible. She, She runs over to a wall guarded by none other than Tyrese and Sasha. And Tyrese and Sasha have been, you know, uh, practicing target practice, you know, or trying target practice, at least with the zombies. And uh, Tyrese first tries to stop her, but Andrea first threatens him. And then she warns him and Sasha, the governor's doing terrible things. He plans worse, and she's got to get out of there. Tyrese is a lot better with his big carpet uh, laying uh, tack hammer than he is with a, a rifle. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I like that scene where, you know, he's trying to shoot the walker, and uh, Sasha's, like, egging him on by, by making fun of him. And that was a cool character moment, I thought, between the two of them. And uh, when he finally gets to the end, the walker is, like, maybe 20 feet from him, and he finally gets the headshot. Uh, that was pretty funny. It's kind of almost kind of makes fun of uh, some of the other episodes of Walking Dead we've seen where every shot's a headshot, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, it kind of brings that to light that, especially when they put the sight, you know, the camera behind the sight and saw how much it was wavering, it's like... Yeah, it's not really that easy, and it's just like knowing that Carl and Beth and some of these others uh, seem to have no trouble uh, making these headshots. It's just it's kind of funny, you know, when you think that here's here's this guy that you know has this rifle with a scope, and he can't, it takes him four or five shots before he gets a headshot. So it was it was it was good in the way that it it shows not everybody just picks up a gun and starts getting headshots, but two it. It kind of pointed out some of the ridiculousness of what we saw earlier where everybody seems to be getting headshot. Right. So after Andre goes over the wall and runs off, Tyrese and Sasha tell the governor what happened. 
Um, and he claims, you know, Andrew was on her own all winter, so she's kind of gone crazy and paranoid. You don't have to worry about her and what she was warning you about. She's just going loopy herself. And so the governor uh, preps to go go out on his own and bring Andrea back, and he yells at Milton for giving Andrea reason to leave. And to be fair, I mean, Milton... I don't think Milton explicitly admits to anything before he's called out on it, but he is just not a good liar, and the governor is shown a few times in this episode to um, be able to divine the truth from even silences. He can he can look you in the eye with his singular eye and pretty much tell if you're lying to him. I think, too, um, we start to see Tyrese start to, you know, like his um, belief in the governor and in Woodbury start to fade, especially after Andrea tells him, you know, the governor's not who he seems, he's he's evil and, and you, know, you know, they should get out while they can. And then the scene where, you know, he's, you know, he's like, hey, you know, we didn't know this was a prison camp. What was I supposed to do, shoot her in the back when she left? You know, I think Tyrese is starting to see, like, the the problems at Woodbury, you know, starting to a little clear, more clearly than he was when he first got there. Oh, absolutely, and that'll develop more over the episode. But before we get to the rest of the episode, Russell, who is our fine and dandy sponsor this week? Our sponsor is Discount Comic Book Service. That's DCBService.com. And some of the specials they've got going out this month, again, the March orders are out and due, as you hear this, hopefully within the next uh, week to 10 days. And uh, some of the things to highlight are Again, all of all new Marvel and DC trades and hardcovers through DCB service are 50% off. So that's a really sweet deal uh, to pre-order them and get them for that cheap of a price. Uh, the Marvel Now bundles continue where you can get all of the Marvel Now titles uh, in one set for $74.79. That's 50% off. Um, another uh, set of books that are 50% off... They have a Valiant bundle, so it's all the new Valiant books. So it's a Harbinger, Ar- Archer and Armstrong, Bloodshot, um, for tw- for eleven ninety seven. So again, that's fifty percent off of those books. So you haven't woken up; it's not nineteen ninety five again. Um, but Valiant is making a comeback, and the books are actually pretty good. I've been I've been uh, catching up on them recently. So definitely uh, definitely worth checking out. Um, also, you can earn five percent back on your. Comixology digital uh, purchases. If you go to the DCBS homepage, um, click on the Comixology button or the Digital Comics uh, button, and you can link your Comixology account through DCBS, and they give you five percent credit for a future purchase. So you could use it for maybe that cool Walking Dead statue, or maybe when the trades come out, or you know, just any of those cool hardcovers or anything that they have uh, down the road. On DCBS, the other thing that's really cool, and I've started to take advantage of it and uh, help in stop killing so many trees, is the Diamond Previews catalog, which is this huge, uh, you know, paperback that comes out every month with all of the items that can be ordered uh, through Diamond, which is how you order through Discount Comic Book Service, and you can get a digital edition of it for a dollar twelve. Um, and the cool thing is when the uh, when when previews is really late, where it really doesn't ship until the first day of the following month. Uh, a lot of times for that second monthly shipment, DCBS will hold your shipment to include that that issue of previews. And if you get it digitally, you could actually get your order shipped in that last full Wednesday of the month. So uh, it's still a dollar twelve, same price as the as the print edition. But again, you get it digital um, and can save killing a tree. So uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. So um, if you are a first time customer to DCBS, you can put in the code WD8 for an extra 8%, or if you haven't ordered in over a year, uh, you can use that same code when you check out. Um, So Discount Comic Book Service, that's dcbservice.com. We thank them for their support. Absolutely. So back in Woodbury, we've got Alan and his son Ben, and they're talking to Tyrese and Sasha, and Alan is yelling at Tyrese for making in his opinion, stupid decisions like letting Andrea go. And he's saying, look, we're trying to build up trust with the people here in Woodbury. We need this place to stay. You are screwing this up for this for, for us. And he says, you know, the people on the wall are on edge and they, they believe Andrea is crazy. You are just going to make them all mad at us. Um, After that, they go with Martinez to the biter pits, that same place we saw. Oh, probably about nine or 10 episodes ago now, but where there's the, uh, noisemakers and mirrors and stuff that draw zombies in into the pits um, where they can be pulled out and used in the games or to put in a bread truck and launched into the prison or whatever they want to use them for. Zombies check in, but they don't check out. 
Yes. <laughs> so Tyrese assumes probably correctly that these zombies are going to be used uh, to eat all the people at the prison. And they tell him, no, 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 that's not what it's going to be. But he refuses to help. Um, and Alan tries to convince him to, you know, just get with the program. Stop, stop raising a red flag. You need to just help out and stop making problems for everybody. Um, and so we come back to this conversation that they'd started earlier where Alan was complaining, hey, you know, you always, my wife Donna, before she died, she always looked up to you instead of me uh, because you saved her life at one point, yada, yada, yada. And then I believe it's here where Tyrese, it's kind of insinuated that she might have been sleeping with him as well, uh, which I, we don't know too much more about it but but than that, but it's enough for Alan and Tyrese to, you know, get into a throwdown fight where Tyrese eventually holds Alan over the edge of the pit and Alan's yelling at him, throw me in, throw me in. And it's uh, up to Sasha to talk Tyrese down and save Alan's life. Yeah, that was, I like the conflicted Tyrese. I like that he's just not, you know, coming to Woodbury and, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid that he's, you know, questioning things. He's, he's not, you know, seeing things for exactly what they are. Um, I like in their little group that there's a bit of tension going on. Um, I think that that's kind of cool. I, I think this will this will play out very well. I think it's going to be interesting to see when the actual conflict comes. Um, you, you know how things how things lay down. He's a very nice, happy medium between how Andrea handled Woodbury up till now and how Michonne handled Woodbury in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, good point. Which makes him a lot more likable than either of them were at that point. So the next day, um, someone, or that night, I guess, technically, someone goes to the same biter pits. Uh, the person is fully covered up, gloves, coat, you never see their face. Um, but they douse the zombies and the horse trailer where they'd uh, put a lot of the other zombies uh, with gasoline. They drop a match in and they burn all the zombies. And uh, it's, it's unclear at that point who did it, although you can pretty much guess it's not Tyrese, since otherwise, why would they go to so, so much trouble to obscure the person's identity? But I, I have to uh, give a shout out to the makeup effect job on the burned zombies, because when you see them the next day in the light, um, there's three of them and none of them look bad. But one in particular, the one they focus on just looks fantastic. It's just a still... Uh, mobile zombie that has just been burned to a crisp and there's a couple of them but the one in particular just looks so good and so so nasty so so delicious cajun black and zombie mm. <laughs> that's some good barbecue there mm -hmm. uh, yeah i agree did, was it just me or did anybody else not get that that was milton right off the bat i i think my my first thought was milton but i also thought it could be alan or ben like that Alan had kind of come to his senses or that Ben just wanted to remove this source of conflict between his father and Tyrese. And he thought, you know, Hey, if I can burn them, then this won't be a problem. But I figured it was most likely Milton. I, I kind of thought it was the one thing that really did it for me for Milton was the extra protection, the, the coat, the gloves, the Milton is a very cautious person. He's not somebody to leave it to chance. And I think if it was, Anybody else, especially like, a, you know, even a Martinez, not that he would do this, but any of the others, I don't think they would be so cautious. I think they would, you know, not be so concerned with protecting themselves and covering them up. I think they're, you know, that's a good point. They live on the edge a little bit more. Um, but Milton is definitely, um, you know, a very particular kind of guy. Although I figured that the gloves and coat was more to disguise the person's identity. Sure. Than the character reason, although it does make sense now that you bring it up. Yeah. It's funny though you were, you made a really good point earlier, Jordan, about uh, about Milton being a really terrible liar. And there's that scene later on in the episode that that's what really cl clenched it for me. That was Milton, where he's like, "Oh, I heard about what happened in the pits. That's terrible. I hope you find out who did it." You know, it was like the worst lie ever. <laughs> Just not very good at lying to the, especially to the governor. So that's right. what really cl clenched it for me that it was Milton. The the other thing that really stuck out as to why it makes sense it would be Milton was, I think, of the four of those people, Milton, Alan, Tyrese, and Ben, Milton is the only one who there's any possibility he could actually get out of Woodbury with a truck without raising too many eyebrows. Like I, f I feel like he's the only one with enough agency to pull that off uh, within the town. That's something I wanted to ask, too. When Andrea left, why didn't she just take a car? 
I mean, there are all kinds of cars there along, you know, the streets of Woodbury outside the gate. I mean, she, you know, instead decided to run on foot. I, I didn't understand that. Well, that's assuming that any of them have keys or gas left in them. I'd, I'd assume that they'd been stripped for parts at this point, but I guess there's really no way for us to know. But speaking of Andrea, we catch up with her outside the prison. Uh, she's running along the road until she hears a, tr- a vehicle approaching, and so she jumps into the woods. Uh, where she has to kill a couple zombies, but the truck keeps going past her. Uh, So she keeps going. She ends up in a field uh, when the truck goes by again. And this time she she drops to the the ground to avoid being detected, but it's too late. And pretty soon the governor is driving right behind her in the truck as she runs for the woods, honking his horn the whole way. Very uh, creepy-like. She makes it to the woods, though. She makes it to the woods. She gets out the other side. And uh, she finds herself, I guess it's kind of at a factory of some type, but in some little town. Um, and the governor, I mean, I, this is one of those kind of leaps in logic where it's, you know, the, the serial killer's able to find them very, very quickly and very easily. But let's just assume it's a very small tree line and there's only one direction she's going, that's toward the prison. So he does not have much trouble finding her. Um, pretty much as soon as she gets inside the building, he pulls up and follows her inside and we have a long, very creepy, very classic horror-inspired, right down to the music and the lighting and everything, uh, scene where he's inside, he's whistling. He'd whistled earlier in the episode the same tune, but he's whistling. Um, they're trying to kill... She's trying to kill zombies without him finding her. He's killing zombies just to do it, and sometimes to protect himself. Uh, he's got a shovel, he's got a gun, he's breaking glass so she can't walk without making noise. Um... They're going up and down through floors. They're going all different places. And uh, eventually we get to the point where uh, she, I guess she gets upstairs. For, or this is before she gets upstairs. She, uh, she finds a door. She opens the door and there's about, I'll say, 20 zombies on the stairwell facing the other direction. So she closes it really quietly. She turns around and about two seconds later the governor comes around the corner. Um, they talk for a bit and then she jumps backward, throws open the door, and she does a very smart thing, which is she jumps behind the door, so it's now open and blocking her from the zombies, leaving a straight path for them to the governor. So the governor has to fight through them, giving her the opportunity to go upstairs and find a way out. Yeah, you're right, though. It's very very uh, reminiscent of 70s, 80s uh, slasher movies. I, I kept thinking I was going to hear, you know, chi <laughs> You know, it was, uh, and I thought the sequence went on a little long. You know, it, it seemed a little padded for this episode. I, I was, I, I found it suitably tense that it, the length didn't bother me, honestly. I mean, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of those, cla- I mean, I'm, I'm not against them, but they're just not really my thing in those classic um, slasher horror movies. I love, like, some classic horror, like, uh, you know, particularly zombie movies, but um, I thought it worked well, especially, I mean, he he looks so cool. He's wearing almost all black. He looks kind of like an evil version of Snake Plissken. Um, the the whistling and the, the shattering of the glass and, and the use of the shovel against, like, uh, uh, I forget what type of fences those are called, but, you know, he, he's rattling against the fences and stuff and all the different zombies in there. There was enough going on that even though it was a long sequence, but I thought it worked well, at least for me. So... We, we get outside of this factory-type building. Andrea is going back through the woods. Um, she gets to the point where it's now day, and she can see the prison. She's waving at Rick, who's keeping watch. Um, but before Rick sees her, the governor comes up from behind her. He grabs her. He puts his hand over her mouth. And Rick sees some movement in the distance. But even with his sight uh, on, on his rifle, he can't quite see anything. And you can tell just from the way Andrew Lincoln wordlessly plays it that uh, he, he realizes he's been seeing things lately. So he just kind of puts it off to, oh, that's just my craziness coming up to the, to the surface. There's nothing actually out there. And uh, that's the last we see of Rick this episode. In fact, it's all we see of Rick this episode. I just think it was, it was hilarious if it had been anyone else but Rick. They might have seen it, you know what I mean? But Rick is, you know, so so doubting everything he sees that, you know, even seeing that little flutter of action or whatever is causing him to doubt himself again, so. Although, I mean, we do see, just like we saw earlier with Tyrese, we see through Rick's scope, and once they're down on the ground, he really can't see anything. So, I, I, while yes, I agree it's convenient that it was him, 
it would have probably had the same effect regardless of who was there. Plus, you got to have your main cast member in the episode. <laughs> yeah. Just to to back up for a second, because I kind of I kind of dropped off for a minute there. Um, my favorite scene of the whole episode was when Andrea came back out after letting the zombies loose on the governor and shut that door and was just looking straight out of that with a broken glass through the door, and she just kind of stared at him for a, for about five seconds yes. and then walked away. That was just awesome. Like to me, that met, that made the whole episode right there. That was um, her Walter White I won moment. Yes, yes, I am the man who knocks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, I, just, I just, I, I'm with you, Jordan. I didn't think it went on too long. I think, that, I think it built a, an appropriate amount of tension. I, I just thought, I thought it was very well done. I, again, and you kind of touched on this earlier. You just kind of have to put it out of your head that in in this series, people conveniently find each other. That's just the way it is. <laughs> um, and know, he it, did know where she was going. So yeah. But I, I would just think, I mean, of all of the, you know, directions you could take, the path, you know, where you would leave the road, you know, all that. I mean, it, it's it's so random that it just it just seems odd. I mean, again, like I said, that's just they haven't if they're if they're one thing, they're consistent in that manner. Like there there hasn't been a situation yet where people haven't conveniently, you know, stumbled upon each other, uh, you know, for whatever reason. So. If it's if it's mildly annoying, it's consistently so at least. Um, so I'll Fair give him that. But 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 again, it's just one of those things I've kind of put out of my head pretty early on that this is just a trope of this show and 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 move on. Right. One of the other things people brought up on the Facebook um, group was that well, why didn't she take his truck after he was trapped in the building? He's got his truck right out there. Or at least why didn't we see her go up to it and find there's no keys in the ignition or something? Um, I. I think I would have probably appreciated having that scene in there, but it, it didn't really bother me. I just assumed he had the keys with him. So, slash his tires. Oh, that actually would have been a good one. She did have a knife, um, although depending on the tires, that's a good way to really injure yourself. But that's cut the, the plug story. wires. <laughs> She's not a mechanic. Banana in the tailpipe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the last we see of Andrea. Uh, for that particular moment, next time uh, the next scene we come up to is the governor in his truck returning to Woodbury. Uh, he t- he talks to Tyrese and Sasha, saying, "Hey, we're not going to be feeding the prison people to the to the zombies in the pit. This is just using them as a scare tactic. It's a bluff. We're trying to save lives." And uh, then the governor asks one other question. You know, his uh, Matlock moment or whatever. Of, where'd you get the gasoline? And Tyrese, it's pretty clear, has no idea what he's talking about. And the governor, like we said, he's pretty good at sussing out the truth of the situation. So he, he takes that for, for on face value, and he leaves. And this is where the scene you talked about before, where Milton mentions, hey, I heard about what happened at the biter pits. I hope you really catch the guy who, uh, the, the guy who, who did it. And the governor says to him, yeah, I just did, uh, telling us all that it was Milton and that the governor knows. So as, as bad as things turn out for other characters by the end of this episode, I have a feeling uh, Milton might be in a similar situation next time we catch up with him. Well, I think uh, we also had some speculation that Milton might end up with the prison group just because, you know, now the governor knows he's kind of, you know, or end up dead or dead. Yeah. Um, Milton asks if the, the governor, if Andrew is still alive and he says, I hope so. And then we cut to the final scene of the episode where we see, Andrea bound and gagged in the dentist slash barber chair in the governor's torture chamber, and that ends the episode. Not a good place to be. No, uh, particularly with all the various and sundry uh, implements of torture he has in that room. And, and, you know, as many issues as Phil has with Michonne, he now has a lot of issues with Andrea as well. Yeah, and I mean, there was some talk uh, on The Talking Dead about this, and I mean, we want to keep it fairly PG, but um, just how the governor's wires, uh, his, his sex and violence wires are very much crossed and intertwined, um, and some of the uh, implements he has at his disposal, someone on the Facebook group pointed out, and I noticed as well, one of his implements of torture is a uh, speculum, which uh, I don't think we need to really go into much detail about that, but... Uh, you throw in the fact of his and Andrea's relationship before this all went to hell, and I do not see whatever happens to her being in any way pleasant. Um, 
and and I can it just to me is very disturbing in in a way that this show should be from time to time. But it is if assuming that she's not freed by Milton in the first five minutes of next week's episode or something, it's gonna get weird and creepy so quickly in that room next time we we get to it. Yeah, I, I agree. It just that 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 whole last scene was just really creepy, and it, it just it really makes me think of how far they're going to go. Are they are they going to actually? Is he going to actually torture her? Is she going to be freed before he gets the chance? You know, is Rick's group going to you know invade or vice versa? I mean, I, I'm I'm really I don't really have a good bead on you know how this is going to turn out for Andrea. To be honest with you, right, right, same here. So that was the episode, gentlemen. What are your Buster ratings for the episode? James, Michael, Christopher, Dietz, why don't you go first? I give this one a 3-5. Uh, you know, just because it just seems like um, uh, some parts of it seemed a little longer than they needed to be. Some things, uh, I, I mean, I appreciate the dramatic tension and everything that's been built up. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of it just seemed like, uh, I, I want to say like story arc bookkeeping, like, okay, we have to put Tyrese on this path. So he ends up with, you know, where he's supposed to be and, uh, you know, Melton and everything else. Um, it, it was, an, it was an okay episode in the, in the way that it made me care about Andrea and she's not a character I usually really have liked all that much. Uh, so, you know, I'm really feeling for her after this episode. So I appreciate that part of it. Uh, so, um, three, five. Russell Fauntleroy Latham, what are your thoughts on the episode? Close. Uh, no. Um, I give it four and a quarter. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this episode. I, I, you know, knowing it was an Andrea-centric episode um, from the get-go, I didn't know that I would really be that jazzed about it. But I think there were some great character moments between Andrea and Tyrese, between Andrea and Milton, um, the whole chasing with the governor, I think some of the character interactions we got with Tyrese and his group amongst themselves, I, I just I really thought this was a cool character piece for for this side of the story. I mean, it was, again, one of those that we've talked about in the past where when they take an episode and just focus on a, a smaller subset of characters and not have to really bounce around everywhere, uh, it tends to it tends to work better. And I think that's kind of what they did here. They they could have easily you know, maybe combine things or edited things differently between maybe this episode and the next one um, to, to, you know, to show Rick's group a little more to kind of, you know, cut some bits out of, uh, you know, what, what we saw and added some of that in, but they didn't, they kind of held the line except for that little bit of Rick um, there, you know, that we saw in that, in that one part. But, um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm very happy with it. I, I, I know some people um, weren't so crazy about it, but, but I am. And, you know, the other thing is I've just come to the, come to the realization and I'm okay with it that this Andrea and comic book Andrea are completely different characters. Um, other than the fact that Andrea is a pretty good shot, there's almost in my mind, no correlation between Lori Holden's uh, portrayal of Andrea and the comic book Andrea. Um, I would never see the comic book Andrea taking charge like this, being so assertive, um, being the kind of sexual creature that she's shown herself to be in this um in in this season i mean we now grant i won't give too much away from the comics we do um see a little bit of that side of her recently but but not very much but she's she's just a very different character and i i think that's okay i will give the episode 4.75 out of five um really my only major complaint from the episode was the actor who plays Alan, I was not buying his acting for a lot of it. Not all of it. I thought some of it was, was fine. But in general, yeah, it was not doing it for me. So, yeah, 4.75 out of 5. What did our listeners on Facebook have to say? First of all, my new Pink Floyd cover band is going to be called Sexual Creature. Um, <laughs> for, um, well, we got a lot of great uh, fe uh, feedback on the Facebook group, as we always do. New Knight gave it five out of five dentist chairs. Uh, Terry Bernard gave it a four out of five. Uh, Brian Arnold a four point five whistling governors. Uh, Mary Terpetia uh, gave it a uh, solid four Walker s'mores. Mm-mm, delish. Um, Everard Santa Marina gave it a four, three toasted zombies. You know, he's really on the fence regarding this episode. He thought it started off kind of forced. Uh, Roger Austin gave it 4.5 knives to the eye. 
Echo Alpha gave it four tied up Andreas out of five. Uh, Mike Jones, 4.5. Jason Wannabes out of 5. And I deducted the point five because the governor was stalking Andrea like Jason in the Friday the 13th movies. Uh, again, I, I was thinking the same thing. I kept hearing, you know, when to hear that soundtrack from those uh, in the background. Uh, Susan Monk gave it a 3.75 80s horror movie chase scenes. Uh, Chris Barr, 4.5. Governor's hiding in the grass. <laughs> Robert Nigro gave it a 5 out of 5 weaponized zombies. Um... Rob, Rob Toll gave it a 3 out of 5. Uh, Leslie Johnson um, had some questions about, you know, why why didn't, you know, um, Andrea take the governor's truck, as you said earlier, Jordan. Um, we had a lot of great uh, feedback, a lot of good uh, discussion on the Facebook group, like we always do. And if you'd like to join that group, it's pretty easy. Just uh, look for The Walking Dead TV Podcast on Facebook uh, in the groups and uh, join in the fun. And... It's also a good way to get your episodes until we get this iTunes thing worked out. Russell, what did our good friend Aaron Newarth from the Out Now with Aaron and Abe podcast, which you can find at hhwlod.com, have to say about this week's episode? Well, he emailed me a little uh, tidbit, and of course you can go to hhwlod.com, and on the front page you'll see Aaron's review of Prey. Um, and he unfortunately couldn't be with us tonight, um, so maybe he will either be here next week or the week after for the finale, I would, I would imagine. Um, but here we go. He said, I thought Prey succeeded because of the tension involved in the latter half of the episode where the governor was stalking Andrea. It followed the formula of a slasher horror movie, but that didn't bother me because I was actually rooting for Andrea this time, which is something that does not happen very often. The way the episode made the prison look like a safe haven was impressive only to have it ruined by the governor taking Andrea at the very last moment. I also really like what we got from Milton this week as it really set the stage for where the season is going with his character, Four out of five busters overall this week. And I believe our buddy and podcasting brother, Brad Milo, who couldn't make it tonight, but I believe he sent us some thoughts as well. He did. So this will, I guess, uh, drum up some speculation that we could discuss amongst ourselves here as we, as we kind of wind things down for, for this week. This is but not Brad, spoilers, we should say. Right, yeah. This is completely just Brad um, you know, throwing stuff against the wall here. But he thinks before the end of the next two episodes, we will see buckets and buckets of death. And he has a list of folks he thinks uh, are going to die, which this is a, this is a pretty impressive list if it came to, to, to pass because it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's exhaustive. So he thinks the governor, and he says this one's a gimme, which I vehemently disagree with um, Mr. Milo on, on that, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Milton, Martinez, who he says is another gimme, Merle, Herschel, Beth, Judith, Carl, Andrea, and Sasha. And he says, I think they need to go out in a big, big way, even bigger than last season. So that's a – and I, I made sure to ask Brad, I'm like, do you think that all of them will get it? Or is this just a list of possibilities, you think? And he said, I think – he thinks that a majority of those on his list, that, or that's his theory, um, are going get, to uh, get the axe this season. It's a pretty impressive list. Uh, I don't know yeah. that I see who does, all who does of them. Leave? Dying, who does that leave? That leaves like what? Rick and Tyrese. Rick, Tyrese, Michonne, uh, Glenn, Maggie, Daryl, Daryl. Yeah, Daryl Merle. Did he say Merle or was Merle? No, he said Merle. Did yeah, he say Milton? Yes. Yes. Wow, that's a lot Martin of people. Gone. He said her. Oh, uh, yeah, it leaves Jim. um leaves uh, Carol. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of I, I agree that a lot of those could go. I don't think Carl most likely. Although, no. like I said, I think that would be really surprising and probably a good move for the show. Even though I love um, his work on the show, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying I don't like the character. Kill him off. I'm just saying that'd be a good move for the show. Um, I could see fifty percent of those dying, twenty five percent living, and twenty five percent where it's unclear at the end of the season whether or not they're alive or dead. Yeah, I don't. I don't think the governor's going to get it. I think he's going to continue to be a protagonist, maybe through the, at, at at worst case, the the first half of this of season four. But um, I think more than likely he'll continue on through through season four. But I don't see Carl and and especially the baby Judith getting it. I think Carl is a center is kind of a in a way like the the centerpiece of the story in some ways and i think his role is expanding and i think if this show lives on i think carl's role is going to become more and more prominent 
um, for sure. I could easily see Merle just because it's Michael Rooker, um, and you know I don't know that he's one to to take on a you know a, a permanent role on a TV show um, with you know movie work that he does and things like that. I could easily see Merle going, Martinez going. I don't think I I agree. I don't think Milton's going to make it out of this one um, this season at all. And I think Herschel is is may is a maybe, but. I really like the fact that Herschel's kind of this uh, conciliary, you know, role to to Rick. And I think moving forward, I think that's something important um, that the show needs to kind of add some balance and to to him kind of, you know, whisper in his ear at at some point. I think uh, I'm going to make two predictions based on absolutely nothing but pure conjecture and BS. My first is that the governor will be killed by Andrea in the season finale. My second is that Carol is going to die. Oh. Okay, I've got one, since we all seem to be doing them. I'll say, yes, Merle will die, but he will do so, and this one will go right against what Jim said, he will die saving Carol's life because he finds out what she means to Daryl. Ooh, I like that one. And that kind of redeems the character on two fronts, um, letting him die. And I think they've already been doing a fairly decent job of rehabilitating that character. Even the scene that they showed... Um, from next week on Talking Dead, which maybe we'll talk about in the spoiler section um, after the closeout of the episode. But uh, it, it continues there of him. Is he still a racist a-hole? Sure. Not my favorite type of person. In fact, it's one of my least favorite types of person, uh, just personally. But they have been doing a good job of making him less... I mean, si- I mean, since really the first time we saw him, doing a good job of cutting down on the southern caricature and turning him into an actual character and i think a lot of that is in setup for him doing something heroic to save not really save the day but at least save one of our characters before he like everyone else is saying gets the axe and they save quite a bit in the budget for next year so that's it for this week's episode we'll of course talk about uh, the synopsis for next week's after the closeout here as well as maybe that scene from next week that we saw on talking dead But until then, you can leave us a voicemail at 516-468-7912. That's 516-468-7912. Or send us an email, comments at walkingdeadtv.com. Check out hhwlod.com for all of our great shows like Half Hour Wasted, Legion of Dudes, PKD Black Box, and Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can follow us on Twitter at WDTVPodcast and at HHWLOD underscore network. And so until there's no more room in hell in the dead walk the earth, remember... Take a tip from the governor. Whistle while you work. Have a good week, everybody. So long. And next week on The Walking Dead, episode 15, the penultimate episode for the season, is entitled This Sorrowful Life. And the plot synopsis we have is Rick and the group are faced with a serious problem. If they want to choose with the governor, they have to make a huge sacrifice, which we pretty much already know. The scene during Talking Dead, and I do not remember this... Uh, word for word, but was actually Rick talking to Merle, like I uh, hinted at during the episode proper, where Merle tries to talk Rick out of uh, out of giving up Michonne in exchange for Chance. You know, he basically says, he, he says, I know what the governor is capable of, I know what he's planning, um, and if you're willing to give this woman up for a chance at this thing all working out, you are one cold SOB. And uh, I believe he even calls him officer-friendly, which is a nice uh, callback way back to the second episode of the show. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty clear that if he gives up Michonne, that the governor's just going to kill him anyway or, or attack him anyway, that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fool's bargain. But I'm psyched. I'm excited as well. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, we cannot wait for the last two episodes. But until then, uh, check out another show on HHWLED.com. They're a lot of fun. And uh, have a good week. If there's a time and a place, he will be gone. So I went out drinking Saturday night with uh, some friends, a new group of friends, actually, or or an old friend and a group of his friends, and drank quite heavily, the heaviest I have in a while. So I I think I was still hungover this morning a little bit, but uh, I got home Sunday, I got in the house, 
I, I know my keys were involved. I cannot find my keys. Oh, jeez. So my keys are somewhere in my house. You tra- I don't know you where they are. You traded them to a hobo for a ham sandwich. <laughs> I probably would have. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I definitely used them to drive home and to get in the house. Uh, where they ended up after that, who knows? And I had a lot of pockets because I was wearing a suit jacket. I looked all spiffy. But uh, cannot find those keys. You want to make, make sure you edit this part out so you don't perjure yourself. <laughs> For driving under the influence. No, no, no. I didn't drive under the influence. Oh. I drank quite heavily. Then my buddy drove. We went to uh, a friend of theirs' apartment where I tried and failed to get laid because there was kind of that whole um, a beautiful mind scenario where one available girl, three available guys, and we all just clocked <laughs> each other. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm serious. Seriously, you could not have described it better than that uh, because we all had a much higher than normal chance for some reason because this chick loved accents and not just like your normal like Irish, Australian, English. She loved Midwestern accents as well. And apparently all three of us are really good at doing accents. And so it was a very fun flirting session, but uh, also the strangest one I've been involved in. But anyway, so we went back to her apartment, drank some more, and then... He, we drove back to the bar. He dropped me off of my car, and I slept in my car till like seven in the morning. And then I drove back home once I was oh, sober. Jeez, but, uh, I that's, was hungover. That's, that's always a fun drive. <laughs> yeah, luckily it was only like eight minutes from my house. This is episode eighty-seven. The year I was born. Woo. Oof. <laughs> Seventeen days before the premiere of episode one of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Oof. <laughs> What else? What else? What else? Uh, no. Anyway, you can add this to, to the bloopers if you want, but I, I, I'm going to take a stab at the no more room in hell. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I, I, no, I no, thought of one. Fine. I thought of one the other day. So until there's no more room in hell and the dead walk the earth, who gives a shit about glass? <laughs> what? Based on him breaking the glass? Didn't you ever see Die Hard? Oh, with with the glass in the feet or whatever. Well, no, he said when he dropped the he dropped the chair down the elevator shaft and it blew out the windows on the bottom two floors and the cop got on like the radio. Two years old when Die Hard came out. Dude. Yeah, I know he was negative one, but <laughs> but the cops go, going on. He's like, you got glass thrown spread out all over the all over the street down here, and he's like, glass. Who gives a shit about glass? Gotcha, gotcha. Anyway. <laughs>